Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll catch you up on some news, then discuss the Pacers' 3-0 start, Sabonis being the heartbeat of the team, and what it's like attending a home game under the current conditions. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hi again, everybody. I'm Scott Agnes. I hope everyone had a great Christmas or whatever you may have been celebrating. Hopefully you were with those you care about it, or at least in communication with those, right? FaceTime, Zoom, whatever it may be. It's an important time of year. It's my favorite time of the year. But I also know it can be a difficult time of the year for many. But that's one of the reasons, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I haven't even taken down my Christmas tree from last year. It's been up this entire time, and I don't know when I'll take it down. I haven't even thought about it right now. I'm surprised some have already taken down their Christmas decorations. No, leave it up, but really do whatever you want. For me, I'm leaving it up. It's a good time of year, and also it's a lot of work to not enjoy as much as you can. Anyway, let's talk some Pacers basketball A very good start for this team. You know that, but you may not even be able to follow right now, and I know that's a big issue for Pacer fans at the moment, and I've documented it and talked about it, written about it on fieldhousefiles.com, and that's because of Sinclair's ongoing dispute, and, of course, they own Fox Sports Indiana and so many of the regional networks. Well, because of their dispute with really most of the streaming options, like YouTube TV, which I use. There's also Hulu and Sling and many others. I did a poll on Twitter the other day, and more than 50% of Pacer fans say they haven't been able to watch any games, and that's terribly frustrating. I know some have probably gone the uh, alternative route, let's say, to view games, but still, that's a workaround that shouldn't be necessary. They need to come to the negotiating table and figure it out. However it may be, just get it done, because especially this year, it's more important than ever. Pacer fans and sports fans, for that matter, want to watch their team. They want to watch games. And they may be paying subscribers to so many of these services, but because of these two parties not being able to get an agreement, fans are in the dark, on the outside, and unable to watch their team or teams at this point. The Pacers did make some transactional news right before the start of the season. First of all, they waived those extra players. Amita Barima, Nazmi Trulong, and Rayshon Hammonds. They also signed Joshua Gray and Devin Robinson for a day, then waived them. And that's all done for G League purposes. It allows then for the Pacers to own the rights to those players, so then they revert back to the G League and the Pacers affiliate. The Fort Wayne Mad Ants come the G League season, which we still don't exactly know what's going on, but I do know the Pacers plan to participate in the bubble that the G League is planning. But the other interesting side of all that. The Pacers don't have a coach. They did re-sign Brian Levy, the general manager, but don't have a coach, do not have assistance. So we'll see what's up next for the Mad Ants. The Pacers also made a couple of no-brainer moves, picking up the rookie options on their contracts for Aaron Holiday, for Goga Bataze, the fourth and third years of those contracts, 
respectively. And yeah, those are obvious. Aaron Holiday, he's in the rotation. He has a lot of trade value as well. And Goga Pataze, you still don't know exactly what you have in him. He hadn't been out there long enough. His training camp, he missed out on. And now, even worse news. He suffered a grade two right ankle sprain and is out indefinitely. He missed some of camp, missed most of the preseason, and is now not available when these games really count. And that's just yet another roadblock for Goga and his development and a guy we need to see more of. But for now, all he can do is be on the bench and support his teammates. We've also seen in the last week Edmund Sumner miss time due to illness. I'd like to see him be in uniform and be out there. I think he could really thrive in the offense of Nate Bjorkren. Another thing of note is Victor Oladipo. Played very well, I would say, through the first two games. However, did not play in the third game. They elected to hold him out for what they're calling knee injury management. And he's in a contract year. He still has not played in back-to-back games since rupturing his quad tendon almost two years ago. Has not had any setbacks. Is feeling really good. Still wants to get a little bit stronger and more confident, I think, in that knee area and in those legs. But otherwise, feeling good. But they made the decision for him not to play in the back-to-back. And that'll be something to keep tracking, of course. I'm kind of over it. I'm sure you are, too. Because if you're healthy... The thought is you play. These players are paid exorbitant amounts of money to play a game. For Victor, it's again $21 million this year. Has not played in back-to-backs. The Pacers have eight sets of them over their first 38 games, part of the schedule we know of for now. And we'll see if his tune changes, and he does end up playing later on in some back-to-backs. Right now, this is a conservative and cautious approach, I think, primarily with Victor, but also with the front office and medical staff in mind. Pacers need him. They want him out there. They want to build chemistry and continuity, especially with that first unit, which we still haven't seen enough of just yet. But when he has been out there, he has looked good. He has made positive contributions in that starting role, and he made all five of his three-point attempts in the win in Chicago before sitting out. So that was good. I think if there was one thing I would change in all this, is for Victor to be more transparent in this and say, look, I'm being overly cautious with this injury. I don't want to overdo it. The fact of the matter is the game before he suffered the injury at home, he was playing in a back-to-back and completing it. So maybe he connects the dots. Whatever it is, what I think myself and others are tired of hearing is, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how my body responds. He said that countless times, and I think by that point it's something fans maybe have tuned out a little bit. They just want to hear it straight. Tell me exactly why and how you are feeling, and we can deal with that. Pacers now on a positive side. They're 3-0 and to start the season. That coming after an 0-3 preseason. Again, preseason. Nobody puts much stock into that, especially with the new coaching staff and trying new things and trying to see what you have with the rest of the roster, like the rookies, like the free agents. The Pacers did return those core 13 players Those players are available for the most part, with the exception of Jeremy Lamb, Edmund Sumner right now, as well as Goga Pataze. But over the last three games, these first three games, they've looked good. I've been impressed with a number of things, how they've gotten contributions from all over, how a couple of their core starters have shown up big, talking about Damana Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon especially. Miles Turner still is that force at the rim to be reckoned with. The best rim protector in the league so far that he's shown. He's doubled up the next best rim protector just in total blocks. He has 17 
through three games. And that's huge to see that he was able to pick up where he left off, I think, from last season. He's motivated to potentially earn Defensive Player of the Year consideration, to earn votes for the all-defensive teams and perhaps all-NBA teams. That's something he's gunning for during this season and something he's trying to prove to not only himself but to the rest of the league as well. The Pacers' other starting center, Demonis Sabonis, rightfully so, has earned all the headlines. And after three games, he was named Eastern Conference Player of the Week after averaging more than 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists per game. He's also beginning to attempt four threes per game. That's really interesting, and if you look at his shot chart, as I did, has not attempted anything in the mid-range. That's one thing Nate Bjorkren's trying to remove from most of the players' games. Doug McDermott talked in length about it after a recent practice. He's trying to eliminate some of that and go for all threes or all shots around the rim, and Domas loved that elbow jumper, has yet to take one through three games. It's either been outside shots or looks around the basket within, you know, Five to seven feet, let's say. The other thing I've noticed is in the first two games, double-digit free throw attempts. That's huge. He only attempted three free throws against the Celtics on Sunday, and those were all over the final 24 seconds, and he missed two of the three. But big picture here, if he could get to the line with that type of frequency, double-digit opportunities, and that would be as a result of what he's doing underneath the basket, playing physical, outmanning the opponent, that would prove to be very beneficial for the Pacers. And there's several other players I'd like to see attempt more free throws. Brogdon, as well as Oladipo, immediately come to mind. And one other thing, a takeaway from the Pacers' last win, narrowly beating the Boston Celtics on Sunday, is the play design and then how much praise was given to Nate Bjorker, not only for this game, but the ongoing praise for him throughout training camp, the preseason, and now into the season. It was a play design that was used previously by Nick Nurse up in Toronto. I saw a video of it here recently, and it was Jonas Valanciunas receiving an inbounds pass from C.J. Miles, faking the handoff. He drove down the right side, laid it up, and they won. Meanwhile, for the Pacers, it was Justin Holiday taking it up. He threw it into Sabonis, who faked the handoff, drove down his dominant left side, scored the layup, and was fouled. The exact same scenario, and what it was also doing was taking advantage of the Celtics switching everything. And this was something that Bjorken read. He saved to the very last moment, and that was something that Malcolm Brogdon credited him with, even called Bjorken a genius already. It takes a high IQ coach um, and a patient coach to draw something like that up at the end of the game. You get, you're getting Domas to a strong hand on the left side of the rim to finish, but at the same time, um, coach has been seeing them switch that the entire game, and he, and he saved it for the literally the last play. So, um, you know, X's and O's and understanding the game like that and being able to make that adjustment at the end of the game, that's, that's championship basketball. He has not been shy at sharing praise about his new coach and a guy he works with every day, goes into his office before practice, before games, discusses their plan, and it just made some brilliant moves to use some of the players' words. I still want to see more. I want a bigger sample size before we crown him the next great thing. But if you listen to the players, and their opinion is most important because they are with him in the trenches. They are with him every single day at practice, on the plane, at games. All of them are enjoying it. They're having fun. It's been a nice refresher for so many of them, a nice change of pace. And so 
that's a credit to the front office for making this change when it was clearly needed and appreciated, I think, by the players. That's at least what the early returns show. But Sabonis is easily playing at an all-star level. And again, Eastern Conference Player of the Week for Week 1. I mean, he's been great all season so far, preseason, uh, training camp, you know. Um, he has a different play for everything, you know. Um, he trusts every single one. He knows who's going off, who's who he wants the ball in his hands in the right moment, you know, matchups, you know, and uh, that makes it easier for the players, you know. Um, we all trust him, you know, and we just try to execute as best as we can. And I think we got great coaching. Uh, I think that's – we got a coach that motivates us, um, a coach that's great with the X's and O's, um, and a coach that stays calm in, in high-pressure situations. So we, we feed off of him in every aspect of the game, and, and it comes through for us. Adjustments have been key. It's been something the players have harped on, and – We've seen a lot of it, especially coming out of the half. Those third-quarter runs have been special the last couple games. And adjustments were a common and frequent criticism of the previous staff. And we're seeing so many just in-game adjustments in the early going so far. If you think back to last game against the Celtics, there was the box and one that they threw at them. It was especially targeted at Jason Tatum, who went off and was their leading scorer. But during that stretch with a box and one, something that... Malcolm Brogdon told me they had never even practiced. It was something he implemented during a timeout. This is a smart team, though, so that's something that you can do with this bunch. He implemented it and drew it up during the game. McConnell guarded Tatum and limited Tatum's touches, limited what he did offensively. Even though the Celtics had success elsewhere, it was certainly worth a trial. And speaking of T.J. McConnell, he's continued to be a game-changer when he's in there. He ups the energy, pushes the tempo, and he's a great distributor. Averaging 6.7 assists in the early going. Has been really good, really solid in just about 20 minutes per game. Pacers 3-0, one of five teams undefeated as of this recording after week one. And a couple of those teams are going to fall off too, like the Thunder, who have only played one game. Really good start for the Pacers. A little bit unexpected in my mind. I thought there would be more of a trial period, a figuring out period. Although you got to keep in mind, their first two games were the Bulls and the Knicks, and both teams are awful. Celtics were a good challenge. Kimball Walker did not play. And what's now interesting is they'll do it all over again on Tuesday. Throughout the season, there will be these mini-series, and I think it's something that I know a lot of these players and teams are hoping will continue on post-pandemic. We heard Brad Stevens talk about it, share his opinion before Sunday's game, and he said it had a college-like feel to it and something he liked. He appreciated it because you could really zero in on one team with scouting. You could condense your travel, and you're not flying from city to city as much. Why not go to a city, play the two road games you would against the team, then move on? Not quite at the level of baseball, but very similar to that as well. The last thing I want to touch on here on the Fieldhouse Files podcast is what it's like at the moment to attend a Pacers home game. First of all, there's a new voice in the arena, and you may be hearing him on the local broadcast. That's Sean Sullivan. He's been named the new public address announcer for Pacer games this season, replacing Tim Sinclair, who what an amazing year he's had in terms of adding work. He became the Bears public address announcer. He's based in Champaign. He worked the NBA All-Star Weekend in Chicago, and after a couple years as the Pacers PA man, got the Bulls gig this year after the guy had retired. Sullivan, meanwhile, he has been the PA man for the Fever, so he's very familiar with the arena, with working there courtside and working 
with the vice president of game operations, Dean Havlin, as well. So the Pacers were forced to find someone new in just a short while, in just a couple of weeks, which made it difficult. But Sean Sullivan is the voice you'll hear all season long for Pacer game. To attend Pacer home games, I still go through the media entrance, which is off Delaware Street, but right away, there's a big difference just upon entering. No longer is a member of the ESG security going through one of my bags. Nope. Now it's like TSA pre-check, and I put it to go through an x-ray machine. I walk through a magtrometer and go through the door. Then to the right, right away, there's a new credential office, media services area. That's a big change rather than just kind of a tailgate table that was plopped up for visiting media to pick up their credential. For now, I am no longer allowed on the event level, and that includes all media and all those outside of a very small group allowed down on that event level. Those that are, they're tested. For instance, the stat crew tested a couple times negative before every single game to make sure they are healthy, that they don't spread any coronavirus, anything like that. So media, instead of going down a couple levels, we go up a couple levels to the club level. And if you're familiar with Bankers Live Fieldhouse, we sit in the varsity club. It's on the north end zone. It's a very different seat higher up. And these aren't complaints because I'm happy to just be there. But I want you to understand our current situation. We're up in the varsity level. We are very spaced out. There's probably five seats between us media. And sadly, there really haven't been many media yet to this point. The last home game, I think there were two or three other reporters, one national guy, Gary Washburn, no TV, no one from the local paper. It's really kind of sad. But that's the current reality, especially in-season with the NFL because it, of course, it dominates ratings. It dominates coverage. But anyway, we're up in the varsity club. There is food served. It's all prepackaged if we want it. There's coffee that I always have before games, but I can't touch it. I can't pour it myself. I have to ask the nice lady that's right there if she'll make me a cup of coffee. Um, So it's just different. But I'm thankful to be there. And my, my veteran move here in the early going is to take a pair of monoculars because it does feel more like covering a football game than it does basketball from where I am. But I still can get there early. I still can watch warm-ups. And because we're not doing locker room stuff post-game, I'm able to see the floor after the game while I'm in the middle of Zoom calls and mostly waiting on Zoom calls. So I see afterwards where Doug McDermott's getting more shots up or Keelan Martin um, and things like that, the little things that happen. What I really miss is the pregame stuff like talking to opposing teams in the preseason. That would have been the 76ers. And that seeing KJ, the trainer for the 76ers, Scotty, the equipment manager, or Patrick, the PR guy, or you know Dan Burke, Popeye Jones, the assistants. I think if I yelled as loud as I could, they still wouldn't hear me from where we are. And so that's the current conditions we're under. We no longer have media access in the locker room before the game or after the game. So I also hate the fact that everybody gets the same content. If I ask a question, anybody can use it, those sorts of things. It, it's really made things interesting and different in terms of reporting. It's been challenging because so much of what we do is based on our our history and our relationship with these guys and talking to them alone. Now I'm having to resort more to text, to DMs, things like that. It's just different. And I really hope we not only, of course, have fans again at the game, and that's something I haven't even touched on because it's something that was felt, especially this last game, when it was a down-to-the-wire game, back and forth, and the building just did not have much energy. You heard some from the teams, the PA announcer. I actually wear AirPods and listen to the TV broadcast while I'm at my computer watching, tweeting, writing down notes. 
but it's kind of a sterile, mute environment so far. Now, there are family and friends there, limited, I would guess, about 50 people in general um, directly related with the Pacers. They're up on the club level, and I actually walked by there the other day. It's kind of like a movie theater feel. There was one concessionary open. There was popcorn and cookies left out. There are a couple ushers. Right below them is where the broadcasters are. They're not even courtside like they were previously on the TV side of things. And on the low-level court side, you do have some that directly work with the team. I'm talking about team doctors, the front office, ball boys, as well as the stats crew. But that's about it. There's not very much. But I'm thankful games go on. I'm thankful to be there. And the Pacers are 3-0 and to start the season. It's a good time for Pacer fans, I know. And I know you're hoping good things going into the new year. 2021 almost. Next up, Pacers will host the Celtics and then play their typical New Year's Eve home game, matinee game, before turning their calendars to 2021. Good start by the Pacers. It's positive. A lot more news, a lot more guests, and a lot more stuff planned for myself and Fieldhouse Files. So I hope you subscribe to both this podcast and my work at FieldhouseFiles.com. Thanks for listening to this episode, and you bet I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>